The following is a message of First Baptist Richardson. For more information, please visit fbcr.org. It's good to be with you guys again and worship with you, especially to be in both rooms by a live stream. Uh, be here in the contemporary room and then uh, next door. Welcome to the worship experience in the worship center today. And uh, we're just glad to be with you. Open your Bibles with me, if you would, uh, to the book of Matthew. And what I'm doing in these uh, four weeks that I'm going to be with you is uh, we're looking at parables, and I'm calling them hidden gems, okay? They're gems down below the surface that Jesus wanted us to understand. And we're going to be looking at one of those parables. But let me just give you a parable out of my own life, maybe to illustrate uh, what I'm supposed to do today. Uh, many of you may not know this, but I'm actually from Arkansas, and all you Aggie fans, we make sure you're happy at least once a year, okay? Uh, for 12 of the last 13 years, I have uh, I've watched you beat us, but I, I grew up in Arkansas. In fact, I uh, actually uh, lived in the same house my entire life until uh, I got married uh, after going to college. And uh, But one of the things that is very common in our state is that people love to garden. And one of the reasons why is the uh, seasons. We have four good seasons, and we get rain over back there quite more often than we do here. And so it's very common for people to have gardens. And I want you to know my dad, his pride and joy in life was his garden, okay? We had this little plot up behind our house and uh, where he would grow some green beans and some squash and and uh, some turnip greens, but his pride and joy was to grow tomatoes. And uh, people in the neighborhood uh, kind of competed who could grow the most tomatoes, who could grow the biggest tomatoes, and those sort of things. Well, during the summer, when uh, the rain and the heat was uh, not uh, certain, uh, as a boy in about the sixth grade, I had one job in the summer. And while my dad was gone uh, to work during the day, I was supposed to water the tomato plant. Now, I can still remember it. Uh, we had a bucket. We had a large coffee can, okay? And what I was supposed to do was uh, once during the day is I was supposed to go get water, take those coffee, that big coffee can, and I would put one coffee can on every tomato plant, okay? And that was my job. During the day, I could do anything else I wanted, ride my bike anywhere on Westbrook. I wanted to go to people's houses, play all I wanted, but... I needed to make sure, because I knew my dad was coming, about 5.30 in the afternoon at the alley behind our house, his car would pull in, and he would pull into that garage, and the first thing he would look at when he came out of that garage was, guess what? The garden. The tomato plants, all right? And I know as a child, I, I was always in the house, and, and one of the, my favorite things is when I knew I'd done it right. My dad would come in that back door and uh, he would kind of look at me and say, well, son, it's looking good, looking good. And I knew that I was uh, uh, going to live another day, okay? And, uh, uh, but that was his pride and joy. And, and waiting on that was something that was very important. Well, th- that's a picture of our parable today. Uh, it, it is a parable 
about people who are waiting for something. A group of folks that the Bible says to us as we live our lives as God's people that, that we are waiting for something. We're in the 25th chapter. The 24th chapter is one of the most famous chapters and studied chapters in all the Bible because it talks about this, the return of Jesus. And what Jesus was saying to them is, listen, okay, I've come and done all these miracles. I'm going to die, go to a cross. I'm going to rise from the dead. I'm going to ascend to heaven. And y- y'all been waiting in Israel for the coming of the kingdom. Well, one of these days I'm coming back and I'm going to establish my kingdom upon this earth. And, 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 and what we'll have is that incredible experience of heaven in the future. And he said, so, but from the 24th chapter until I come back, I want you to know that you are to be waiting and anticipating that coming back because we all know that there's something's going to happen when he comes back, and it's called the judgment. Now, I want you to know my dad's judgment could be pretty tough, okay? And I didn't ever want to, he always made sure we didn't want that to happen. But listen, it's going to talk to us about there's coming a day when our lives are going to be judged. And between the time we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior until he comes, there's some things we're supposed to be about. And he wants us to know that. And this 25th chapter is very, very important to that. It's called the parable of the talents. Now, a talent was, in that day, was a form of money, that, uh, different forms of money. A talent was a lot of money, okay? And if you had one talent, you had a lot of money, okay? But it describes to us in that 25th chapter, beginning in verse number 14, it says, For it will be like a man going on a journey, that's Jesus going and coming back, who called his servants. Now, look at this next phrase, and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one he gave one, each according to his ability, and uh, each according to ability. Then he went away. That's what Jesus did when he ascended. He would receive five talents when at once traded them and made five more. Though he'd received two talents, made two more. But the one who'd received one talent went and dug into the ground hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of the servants came, and look at this next phrase, settled accounts with them. And he had received five talents. He came forward, bringing five more, saying, Master, you delivered me five. Here I am. I made five more. And the master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over more much. Great phrase, enter into the joy of your master. And he who also had two talents came forward and said, I made two more. And the master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter in the joy of your master. He also had received one came forward and said, master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you had no seed. So I was afraid So I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you can have what is yours. But the master said, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I've not sown and gather where I had no seed. Then you ought to at least invested my money with bankers. At my coming, I could have received my own interest. So take this talent and give to him who has ten. For everyone who who has will more be given and will have an abundance. But the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Cast into the, and he cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, into the place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now what God, Jesus is trying to say to his disciples is, I'm preparing you for when I'm ready to come back. 
And I want you to know he says the exact same thing to you and me. I'm giving you this hidden gem. So you will know this is not just about sitting in a room and listening to a talking head and musicians. There's something about the kingdom of God that you need to know about from the time you receive me as your Savior until I'm coming. There's a life that I want you to live. Now, he says several things. I'm going to mention three of these. The first one he says, he says he has given gifts and talents and resources to every one of us to be used for his kingdom. You say, Gary, how do you know this to everyone? Well, when, when a three is used in the Bible, it, it's speaking of completeness. Jesus went into the grave three days and rose from the dead. There were three temptations. All these kind of things going on speak of completeness. And what he's trying to say to us right here is that every single one of us, every one of us in this room, have been entrusted, entrusted with resources to be used for the kingdom. He gave every single one of us. And he says to us, now listen, it's not all the same. In fact, that's the reason he uses different talents here. Now that's not to say that he loved one more than the other. It's just reminding us that not everyone has exactly the same things. But the Bible says every one of us have the same responsibility. That whatever God has given to you and me... They are to be used to further the kingdom of God. And what we oftentimes do is, well, I'm not like somebody else, so I can't do much, or I can't do it like this. So we, we want to focus on what somebody else is not doing rather than focusing upon the fact that God holds me responsible for what I have, what he's given to me. And he says to me, regardless of what I've given to anybody else, it doesn't matter. I'm just responsible for me. Let me maybe draw a picture that you experience each and every week in your church. Last Sunday, I was in the worship center preaching, and, and when I finish, I go out to the next step room, which is where I'll be. But I noticed when I started out that Andy went over to the organ, okay? And so I stopped to watch. I, I want you to know, I admire musicians. Okay, the guy not only can play with his hands, he does it with his feet. I, I don't think he puts a quarter in the slot and it plays automatically, okay? I kind of think that he's done some practice. And I, it was just amazing for me to watch and to hear that sound flow out of that room. And, and I watched him do that. Now, you know what I could have done? I could have said, you know, Lord, I must not be much. I mean, look at this guy. Look what he does. I mean, he's done this. I, I want you to know I, I have the rhythm of a telephone pole, okay? I mean, there, there's no musical about it. When I sing, they turn the sound down, okay? Because I, I have none of that stuff. I wouldn't know where to wave my hand to have people sing. I know nothing about that. I, I've tried it a little bit, and I've realized it's not something God's given to me. But here's the deal. He, he doesn't hold me responsible to do what Andy's supposed to do with his gifting. He just holds me responsible for what I'm supposed to do. And, and this morning, as you look around this church and you look around the, the rooms that you're in and you see what others have, and sometimes it'd be easy to get envious of somebody who can sing like Josiah sings or someone who can run a good sound system or someone who does all these talents. God never told you and me to look at somebody else and try and measure up to what they are. What Jesus is saying to you and me right now is I've given you something. I've, you know, he uses a word in this text that is a word filled with meaning. I have entrusted it to you. 
I've given it to you as a gift. And I've said to you, this gift is not to be dug and put in the ground. This gift is to be used for the kingdom. And we're in no way supposed to be comparing ourselves to anyone else. We're just simply supposed to draw a circle around ourselves and recognize that it says in this verse, verse number 19, one of these days God's going to come and give every one of us a look at our accounts. And he's going to say to us, what did you do with what I've entrusted to you? What I gave to you for the kingdom's work. What are you doing with it? Because all of us have been entrusted who know Jesus Christ as our Savior with something to be used for his kingdom. And never are we to look at someone else. Never are we to do any kind of comparison because God said that doesn't matter. I I like the way he magnified this. It's recorded in the Gospel of John. Do you remember when Jesus had come back and and, and Peter, who had denied him, was out there in the boat and Peter swam to shore and Jesus had a charcoal fire right there. That charcoal fire, I believe, is symbolic of the charcoal fire that he had whenever he denied uh, Jesus. And he's there and Jesus is talking to him. And by the way, at the place where you go in Israel where this happens, it has a statue of Peter pointing across the Sea of Galilee to the Gentiles and being a reminder that they were to take the gospel across to the whole world at that point in time. And Jesus begins to talk to those, that man. He said, do you love me? Do you love me? Yes. Well, go feed my sheep. Do you love me? Go feed my lambs. I've got a purpose for you. I've got a purpose. And what did Peter do? Peter's always sticking his foot in his mouth. He has to take one out to be able to talk. All right. And Jesus, he saw the disciple Jesus love following them, the one who leaned back against him during the supper, the one that Jesus loved. And Peter said, but Lord, what about this guy? And Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Now, what is he saying to you and me today? It doesn't matter what you've been given. It doesn't matter how it compares to somebody else. It doesn't matter the fact that you wish you could play like that, like uh, uh, Andy does, or sing like Josiah sings. It doesn't matter. What he looks at you and me and says, what are you going to do with what I've given to you? Because all of us in the kingdom of God have been given something to use for his glory, and he wants to know what we're going to do with it. But then the second thing, now listen to this statement because I want you to know this statement could be something that is misunderstood. You know, preachers have a habit of getting misunderstood, okay? And I'm going to explain what I'm saying in just a minute because I don't want to be misunderstood. But listen carefully. What we do with our resources, now listen to this word, is a reflection of our relationship with God. Now, I didn't talk to you about what we do with what we have earns a relationship with God. Or that because we do what we do means God must give us something back. No, he says to us that that what we do is a reflection of this relationship with God. It doesn't make our relationship with God. The fact we work ourselves to death doesn't mean God's going to love us more. We're more important to God. It's not about anything like that. What it's saying in this text is that our relationship with God, if we want to know one of the ways we can judge that depth of that relationship is to look at what we have been given to use for his glory. 
You want to know where your relationship with God is and how much you really feel about God. It it isn't about the songs you and I may sing. It isn't about all the times we come to church. It's what we have done with what God's entrusted to us. Because as you read through the Bible, words are cheap. I want you to know that that's kind of an indictment of those who make our living in our way by preaching. But to tell you the truth, what I'm doing today doesn't put me in any better stead with God at all. The fact that he's never been impressed with a sermon I've done yet, okay? (laughs) But you know something? What I do with this gift that God's given to me is a reflection of where I am with God and what's happening. And all the things I might say about a call to ministry, all the things I might do in earning degrees from seminary, and all these sermons that I'd preach, and all the things I would do in leadership with church, that's not to earn my way to God. It is because God's done something in my life, and He's called me to do something with what He's entrusted me to do. And all the things we might say about it doesn't mean a thing. If we're not doing something with what God said, let let me maybe illustrate it like this, okay? My wife, Sandy, is usually with me when I come. She loves to come and be a part of this church, but she's under the weather and couldn't come today. And I I don't think it's because we lost the ball game yesterday, all right? I don't think it's that. Uh, Her team won last night. She's a Ranger fan. I think possibly she wanted to stay home and watch the Ryder Cup, okay? Don't tell her I said that, all right? But Sandy's under the weather a little bit. Okay, well, you know what I do? Now, I'm, I'm not bragging as if this happens all the time, but by God's grace, it happened today. I got up early to make sure that when I left, she was taken care of. I made her I cut up a peach and made peach and yogurt this morning. She loves that. I got a biscuit. She loves a biscuit that you've cooked, and she likes to put it in the toaster. And I, I'm pretty good now to know how much jelly she wants on that. And I got her water there, and I got all her stuff, and I have it all right there. And I'm saying, dear, is there anything else that you need? And she said, hey, dear, you've really set me up well. Now, by the way, my feet didn't touch the ground until I got to the car, because I do that about one out of ten, all right? Okay, I'm not bragging on my, my being a great husband. But what if I'd, instead of getting up early, I'd say, hey, I've got work to do today. You know something? I, there's a group of people ready to hear me. And you know something, dear? I've got, I've got to get to work. And, and you know something? I hope you feel better. I hope you make it. I, I, I will see you later. And when I come back, I may check with you to see if I can pick up something on the way home. What would she think about how I really feel about her? You see, what I do in that situation does not earn my love for my wife. It's a reflection of the fact this is the most important person in the world. And by the way, I love you guys, and I appreciate it, and I want to please you today. But when the day's over, there's one well done I'm looking for, and the name is Sandy Smith, okay? Why? It's because I love that woman. She's given her life for me. She's blessed me far beyond whatever. What I give back to her is a small measure of all that she has done for my life. Well, guess what? Your relationship with God, do you really want to know what it looks like? Well, go stand in front of the mirror and look at all that God has entrusted to you. All that God has given to you. The talents, the gifts, the time, the treasure, all the things that he's given to you. Look into that mirror 
Because what you and I have done with that is a reflection of our relationship with him. You look in this text, and while there's three people, there's really only two hearts found right here. The first heart is the first two guys or girls or whoever that had been entrusted with stuff, and they came back, and, and, and they had used it for, for, for a, to make more. And, and Jesus looks at them, and, and you look at the hearts. I, I would admit to you as I read this parable, and I'm not trying to read too much in this parable, those guys couldn't wait for the settling of accounts. You know why? They knew they'd done right. They couldn't wait for the master to come back and say, look what I have done. There wasn't any nervousness about it. There wasn't any fear about it. They were excited. There was a quiet confidence. Wow. I know that God's for the most part pleased with the life that I'm trying to live and what I'm doing with what he's entrusted. There's a sense of assurance. that Not that they're earning their way to heaven. You and I know we don't earn our way to heaven. But there ought to be a reflection out of our lives that heaven has come to live within us. And one of the greatest reflections is what we do with what God's given to us. And there was this settled confidence that two of these three had, that they had done what God wanted them. And he said, well, we, we never know, you know if God's pleased. No, no, that's not true. In fact, First John says, these things have been written that you may know you have a relationship with God. The Apostle Paul said, you know something, I know whom I have believed. There's a settled confidence. There ought to be a somewhat settled peace within your soul that when God looks at you and when God settles the account one day, he's going to say something pretty special to you. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And those two guys were anticipating that. But if, when you look at this text, the, 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 the other guy was not. He, he was a guy that, that he said, listen, master, I knew you were a hard man. Well, he didn't know God. And, and I knew that, 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 that when, when I, you came back, that there would be a sense of judgment about it. He describes the word, I was afraid. That word means Phobia. That there was a fear within my soul in my relationship with God. And you, you read in this, this is God who doesn't have any peace within his soul. And I would say to you today, there ought to be a measure of confidence within us. That, that we are at least doing all we can do to follow God. Now, we're not perfect. And we zig when we ought to zag. We mess up so often. And our lives are oftentimes lived in places of rebellion and sin. Certainly it's not talking about perfection. But there ought to be something within our soul that says, you're trying to do what God wants you to do. I'm afraid that many of us today, the only time we serve or give or are used of God is when we feel guilt. Or when we fear some fear, fear, or a fear within our soul, or maybe the pressure is put upon us to do something, and we're not going to make it if you don't do it, or we feel the sense of obligation. There's none of that in these first two guys. What you really see is two people who have found God, and they want to serve God. And they're like the child when, when the teacher says, who wants a treat? Everybody, him, let me, let me, let me. Whenever there's an opportunity for the kingdom work, we ought to be fighting to get to the front of the line. Why? 
Because it reflects what has happened within our soul and how God has changed our lives. And there should be a a, a desire out of us to serve him. I'm afraid today when you look at the church that you don't find very much of that oftentimes. You, You know the statistic. It's true in churches all across America. Now, I've not done that survey here at First Richardson, but I've done plenty of those in churches I've served. That 20% of the people do what? 80% of the work and 20% of the people give 80% of the money. And everybody else is what I call heavenly hitchhikers. They just get in with everybody else. Somebody else buys the car, pays for the gas, but we get to go. When in reality, what is that saying? It's a reflection. It's a reflection, not of the church. It's a reflection of our relationship with God. And what Jesus was saying to these disciples, yes, I'm leaving and I'm coming back. And I want you to know I'm going to entrust my kingdom's work to you. Wow. And I want you to know there's a day when I'm coming, I'm going to settle accounts. And what you do with it, will show if you truly, truly, truly have a relationship with me. Last thing, I'll conclude, all right? And that's the fact that those who serve God faithfully will experience, now I'm going to use a phrase right here that preachers don't like to use, you will experience something you can't explain. I know when I was looking at this text and knowing I would be preaching here today, and I see how the, the, uh, the, the, the master came and, and well done, good and faithful servant. And, and, and I think about all that he said and all that he said that was going to happen. I said, Lord, how do I explain this so that you and I will want that above everything else? And I would admit to you something that it's not preachers ought to say. But I'm a little bit lost for words to try and explain what it means. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Or when the master of the universe would look at this guy that that doesn't deserve anything, that came to God by grace... And his life filled with the miracle of the work of God and the hand of God in in ways I could never imagine. I, I don't know what to say. But I just know that one of these things I long for, and you and I both ought to long for, is the day that God's going to say to you and me, well done, well done. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Now, I want you to know, I've experienced some of that joy in my life that I think is a taste of it. Yesterday, while I didn't enjoy the ball game, I got to go with my son and my grandson. And I got to take my grandson to his first Arkansas defeat. There'll be many, okay? And I dressed him up, and he's five years old, put him in red, taught him how to say pig suey and all that kind of stuff. I want you to know, I don't want to tell you how much I paid for those tickets. I may need an offering when we're done today, okay? But I'll tell you this. Sitting there with my son and my grandson, wow. I can't explain that to you. I can't explain what it means. I play golf during the week, and by the way, I've told my wife she can be sick on any days but Tuesday and Thursday because that's when I play golf. I don't want to tell you what I would have done this morning if it had been golf day, okay? Uh, I mess up on those days. But I play with a group of guys, and we finish up at the end, and we total up the score. 
And there's something that's pretty good about the fact if my score's the best. Okay? There's some joy there. There's some joy there when my wife says thank you. There's some joy there when my grand girls give me a hug. There's some joy there whenever I find myself following the Lord. I cannot explain it. All I know is, it is promised to those who will be faithful to what God's entrusted to them. That He's promised you and me that He's going to bless us far beyond our imagination. A few years ago when I left the fielder to, uh, and became uh, uh, just part of the teaching team, I preached there six or eight times a year still, and I still like being at my home church, and, and uh, I love being part of what going God's... But I didn't want to quit. I, I, God didn't kill me. He didn't, you know, uh, someone says Joshua followed Moses. Moses had to die for that to happen. I'm glad I didn't have to die for that to happen, Okay. But I remember I was wrestling with the future for my life at that point because I knew I had energy still to do something in the kingdom of God. And someone put me onto a scripture verse. That's my verse. For we are God's, Ephesians 2.10, we are God's workmanship. God's working in us. Created in Christ Jesus. To sit on the sidelines? No. For good works. Which he's prepared before us beforehand. You know what God said to me? I I don't have you at fielder. But I tell you this, I'm not through with you. And I want you to know something. I've prepared ahead of time for you to be about my kingdom. And I'm as busy as I've ever been in my life. And I'm enjoying it more in my life. I feel like I'm in my sweet spot. And, And there's a joy about it. I think you know, part of the joy is I don't have to pastor a church anymore, okay? Don't tell anybody that. That's a tough job nowadays, okay? I'm glad he moved me to something else. But I want you to know it is something that cannot be explained that happens when we take what God's entrusted to us and we see God use it for his kingdom. I think King David caught it well, and he described it in the Psalms when he said it this way. For you know something? A day in your courts, Lord, is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. King David. The great, wealthy, talented, gifted, unbelievable leader, King David, said to you and me, you know something? I've, I've done wrong and I've done right. And I've come to believe within my life one day as a doorkeeper. It's better than anything else. You know what I think? That's a man who's gotten what God takes, uh, talks about. And he said, take what's been entrusted to you and use it for his kingdom. Can I ask you some questions today? Have you acknowledged that everything you have comes from the hand of God? Have you acknowledged that he's entrusted stuff to you? And the great reflection of where you are with that is how much of it's been used to further his kingdom 
of your time, talents, and treasures. And maybe today the reason why you're missing the joy of the Lord is not that the joy of the Lord is lacking, but no longer do you find yourself in that sweet spot of what God's called you to do. And would today be a day you'd want to draw a little circle around yourself and say, God, what's in that circle I give to you to use for your kingdom's glory? Okay, both rooms, would you bow your heads for just a moment, please, this morning? Just bow your head and close your eyes and do what I just described. Why don't you draw a circle around you, maybe even your marriage and your family? And uh, look at all the good stuff inside there that God's given to you. And would you say today, God, I give myself to you. And what you've entrusted to me, use for your kingdom. Father, today, today, teach us from your word the great opportunity for us out there to know joy and peace and satisfaction. It don't how much we got but how much we see you using what we've got for your glory. Lord, First Baptist Richardson, let that not be true just of 20%, but of everyone today who says, I know Jesus. For your glory, in Jesus' name I pray, amen.